This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this week's BMJ Best Practice podcast on COVID-19. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. In this week's podcast, we're going to focus on some important and topical issues, including cardiopulmonary resuscitation, newborn care, and also dermatological manifestations, or COVID toes. To tell us how the guidelines can help with these topics, we have on the line Dr. Matt Castleton, Section Editor and GP, Dr. Abigail Davis, Section Editor, and Emma Scott, Section Editor, who all work on BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. So to start with Matt and dermatological problems. Matt, can you tell us what are COVID toes? COVID toes is the informal term given to this presentation of some distinctive lesions that have been reported on the fingertips and toes of a small number of patients with COVID-19. There are now several published case reports and case series, and they describe the lesions in a variety of ways. They often seem to be red, Uh, and perhaps tender, uh, often described as being chilblain-like, but they've also been reported as black and crusted appearing, or purpuric, uh, or vesicular or pustular, and they're not always painful. The underlying pathology and connection with COVID-19 remains unclear, and some of the published papers theorise that it's a vasculitis-type process, or there's intravascular coagulation leading to that appearance. In at least one case report, these lesions are reported as a possible presentation of COVID-19. A man in his 20s visited a dermatologist because of these chilled brain-like lesions had appeared on his toes, and then the history of a mild temperature and a cough, and then the COVID-19 diagnosis only emerged later on. Okay, thanks, Matt. And can you tell us about other dermatological manifestations of COVID-19? Yes, there are a range of other possible skin rashes that can be associated with COVID-19. And although COVID toes may be the most striking, the case series suggests that a more typical viral macular papula type rash is actually more common, and that can occur anywhere on the body. There are also reports of urticarial lesions, vesicular eruptions, a bit like um, chickenpox, Uh, and levido reticularis, which is this transient mottled appearance to the skin. And it's unclear whether these skin uh, manifestations are from the viral infection itself or systemic consequences of the infection. But there does seem to be a steady stream of papers being published on this. And the BMJ Best Practice COVID-19 topic summarizes the evidence as it's coming out. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Uh, That's very helpful. Let's move on to Emma and cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Emma, what did the guidelines say about performing CPR in the current pandemic? Yes, uh, CPR poses um, a high risk to healthcare workers due to the use of aerosol generating procedures, close proximity of multiple healthcare workers and the patient, and the need to work quickly in a high pressure scenario. And a number of interim guidelines have been produced, including from the US, the UK, and the International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation. When cardiac arrest is recognized, uh, the patient can be checked for unresponsiveness as normal, for example, by shaking them or shouting. But when checking for breathing, this should be done just by looking and not by opening the airway 
or getting close to the patient's mouth to listen or feel for breathing. Um, in acute hospital settings where COVID-19 infection is confirmed or suspected, all members of the resuscitation team should don full PPE to protect against airborne and droplet particles before entering the room. So respirator mask, eye protection, gown and gloves. Um, it's worth noting that in the UK, Public Health England do not classify chest compressions as aerosol generating procedures. And they say that chest compressions can be done without PPE. But they have um, updated this to say that organisations can choose to advise staff to wear it. Resuscitation Council UK is clear in saying that full PPE should be worn and that no chest compressions or airway procedures should be started without full aerosol generating procedure PPE. Um, US and international guidelines are also clear on this that full PPE should be worn. Further recommendations are that the number of staff in the room should be restricted as far as possible and that uh, airway interventions should be done by the most experienced member of staff with interventions chosen to minimise aerosol generation. So the aim is to try and ensure that the patient has the best chance of survival, but without compromising the safety of staff. OK, thank you very much. And what about the advice for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest? Yes, uh, for adults having cardiac arrest, bystanders are advised to perform compression-only resuscitation and defibrillation if they, has a- if they have access, so no mouth-to-mouth. Um, a face mask or cloth can be placed over the rescuers and the patient's mouth and nose to try and reduce the risk of any potential infection. Cardiac arrest in a child is more likely to be caused by a respiratory problem and ventilation is vital in this case. So bystanders are advised to perform chest compressions and to consider mouth-to-mouth ventilation, especially if they're household members who would likely have already been exposed to any possible infection. So again, the aim is to try and ensure the patient has the best chance of survival um, without compromising the safety of the rescuer. Okay, thank you, Emma. That's that's really helpful and clear. Uh, lastly, let's move on to Abigail and newborns. Uh, Abigail, what do the guidelines say about newborn care during the pandemic? Well, in the UK, there are guidelines from the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health and also from the Resuscitation Council about how to care for babies whose mothers have or are suspected to have COVID-19. And they recommend that clinicians should attend deliveries according to their normal hospital policies. So maternal COVID-19 infection on its own is not an indication to attend. If it's possible, the neonatal team should be in a separate room and then the baby is brought to them just after it's born. And that's to avoid exposure of the neonatal team to the mother. The minimum number of clinicians that are anticipated to be needed should attend and backup needs to be easily available. Suctioning, bag valve mask ventilation and intubation of the newborn are all considered aerosol generating procedures by these guidelines and they recommend that clinicians who attend deliveries should wear a full gown, gloves, FFP3 mask or equivalent and eye protection. Neonatal resuscitation should follow the usual algorithm for neonatal life support. And remember that the towel used to dry the baby is potentially contaminated and that needs to be safely discarded. Now, Babies who are well and don't require any medical intervention should remain with their mother and both of them should remain in their designated room and they should be discharged as soon as it's safe to do so. Babies don't need to be tested for coronavirus unless they become unwell. 
Before discharge, babies should have the usual newborn screening exam, and that should include visualisation of the soft palate. The current advice remains that for well babies, the benefits of breastfeeding outweigh any theoretical risks, so that should be encouraged, um, and a mask should be worn and careful hand hygiene performed for any breast or formula feeding. If the baby needs to be admitted to a neonatal unit, there's a balance to be struck between minimising the number of clinical investigations and also maintaining standards of care. All babies who need respiratory support should be nursed in an incubator. Thanks, Abigail. And there's a few differences between US and UK guidelines. Can you tell us how the guidelines differ? Yes. So the American Academy of Pediatrics has also published guidance on this subject. And there's a few differences. So one is that babies should be washed after birth to remove any virus potentially on the skin. And they also advise that babies should be separated from their mothers initially. And that's to minimise the risk of any postnatal infant infection from maternal respiratory secretions. If that's not possible, or if the mother declines separation, then the guidelines recommend the baby should be kept at least two metres away from the mum. If there's capacity in the hospital, then newborns should all be tested for coronavirus infection 24 hours after birth. And if they're still in hospital, they should be tested again at 48 hours after birth. If babies test negative, then they can be discharged ideally into the care of a non-infected carer. There's a lot more information on this subject in the management of coexisting conditions in the context of COVID-19 topic, um, which has been updated again this week, and you can access that on the BMJ Best Practice website. Okay, thank you very much, Abigail, and also Matt and Emma. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, Click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again.